Well, once again, hello and welcome to Moving Forward with Young Voices. I'm Brian Hyde, and I'm happy to welcome you to the Fed by Ravens Media Network. This is a program where we have teamed up with Young Voices, a nonprofit talent agency out of the Washington, D.C. area that uh, is spotlighting some very remarkable uh, young voices with, with messages worth hearing. And today we're going to be talking with Aaron Andrews to get things started. Aaron is an associate editor with Young Voices. And, and Aaron, I'm going to ask you if you would fill in just a, just a few of the gaps as to who you are and what you do. Sure. Thanks for having me on the show, Brian. It's great to be here. So, yeah, I work for Young Voices. It's a a D.C.-based media nonprofit helping millennial thinkers and policy wonks for liberty break into the commentary space. Uh, I'm an editor, so I have a roster of about 50 writers who submit op-eds to me about once a month. And those op-eds can be about anything happening in the news or in culture that's locally, nationally, or globally. Uh, I edit the pieces for grammar, syntax, and argument, and I provide pushback and ask questions as needed. It's it's a loving kind of pushback, though, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I love our contributors. They know so much about the things that they write about, much more than I do. Um, I mean, I didn't come from a very politically-minded family. We just sat around the table and talked about books uh, most nights. We're a very bookish family, so I'm usually learning something new when I'm reading these op-eds, and I think... That's helpful for them because, you know, they get the experience of someone reading their piece uh, like an audience is going to read them. So it's like, a, I don't quite understand what you're talking about here. Clue me in that kind of that kind of feedback. Aaron, I'm, I'm grateful that we have you on the show today, because uh, one of the things that we're going to be discussing is uh, making liberty work for newspaper editors, as well as journalism trends uh, for, for next year. Now, saying newspapers I almost feel like uh, like a little bit anachronistic because they're becoming they're, well you know the, the physical newspaper is kind of a thing of the past. Um, talk to me about what is the job of the newspaper editor today? It seems like that has really moved into the digital realm. Am I, am I seeing that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I worked for uh, before I came on with Young Voices for a couple of years. I worked in in print journalism first in a small newspaper in my my hometown, Colville, Washington. Um, and then I, at the Detroit News on the editorial board, and newspapers are really struggling. I mean, uh, my local newspaper is just struggling to make ends meet every month. And even big newspapers like the Detroit News, they're looking for ways to cut costs and stuff. So I don't know if the role of the editor has changed much. It's just changing format. So I think it's always the, the role of the editor is always going to be who's my audience? What do they need to hear? What are the stories that are important? And so that's the kind of the thing that I think about when I'm looking at at my contributors and the pieces they're writing is where can I send this? Whose audience is going to be is going to be interested? And um, what are the what are their people? What are the people reading it going? What are the questions they're going to have? So we can kind of anticipate those. Okay, so this this is the question I've been dying to ask you because because of your experience, because of your background. What do you wish more people understood about the job of an editor. We all have opinions, but what do you wish people understood about what you do that they could could better appreciate what it takes to do what you do? That's a fantastic question. Um, I wish that they knew that I don't have as much um, as much of a dog in the fight as they think that I do, that I'm actually uh, interested in in publishing an opinion that's that's well thought out. and that grants the opposition ground uh, when when I can. 
Okay, that makes sense. That is yeah. I, actually that's a fantastic answer because I look. I, I've read the the op ed pages for many many years. I've I've uh, I've been a talk radio veteran for a little over twenty five years, and you know I've had it in my mind. Oh, those editors, they're probably sitting there thinking, you know, this is how we're going to spin the news. And and that's that's not necessarily the truth. Um, talk to me about the challenges of, of what it takes to to bring a message to the public and to do it with with fairness, con- considering that especially in an editorial setting, you're dealing with opinion rather than the hard, cold facts of a story. Yeah, that's really tough. I mean, uh, you're right. You're, you're you you don't want somebody to not take a side in an opinions piece. It feels wishy washy. Um, I think the challenge really is uh, treating the opposition with respect. And uh, giving them, like I said, giving them ground when you can, because I think the the enemy uh, right now of politics and culture is the echo chamber. So you never want to get into a situation like we have today where you're only talking to people who already agree with what you're saying. And I think luckily people's uh, BS meters are getting <laughs> like more and more sensitive all the time. And so especially with like Gen Z, like that whole generation. I think if Fox News comes on, if CNN comes on, they sense that they're being snowed. And so it's, it takes respect for that BS meter and knowing when you need to back off and not be so, uh, I don't know, antagonistic to the other side, I guess, or backing up your opinion with facts or backing up your opinion with lived experience or good examples of some kind. I think that's really where the rubber hits the road. And also that makes for a more interesting opinion as well. Instead of just bludgeoning your reader over the head with what you think is the case, backing it up with, with a story, people enjoy a narrative over, over just an opinion every time. As you're describing this, I I'm vividly picturing an exchange I saw take place earlier this morning on social media. And, and there could be differences of opinion and it doesn't mean that, well, then we are enemies, but, but there are some people who take that to, you know, to where they can't express their opinion unless it's like, look, I have to beat you with this until you submit or somehow, I don't know what they're afraid is going to happen. The world's going to, you know, tip off its axis and fall into the sun, but they're very, they're very intent about it. Absolutely. And I think it's fear too. It's fear about being wrong and fear about uh, who you are if you don't know what you think. And I think uh, what we're called on to do right now is is um, be, I don't know, I guess maybe be a little stupid and have conversations with people you don't agree with. And when you come to the end of what you know, be humble and open-minded and hear the other side out. I think that's essential today. I, I know it's it's really hard. And, and, and again, I've, I've worked in the echo chamber. I actually have helped create echo chambers before. I've since yeah. kind of changed my approach. But um, one of the one of the most productive things I've ever seen done was to sit down and have a conversation with someone and just say, look, the, the only ground rule here is I can't try to change your mind. You can't try to change my mind. And it's amazing what you learn about a person and their point of view when you aren't you know, automatically thinking of, well, here's how I'm going to counter what they just said. Right, exactly. And I think another essential part of that is um, being aware that people are not positions. I mean, I think, and I think that's a problem with social media is it's really easy to divorce um, a post from the person behind the post. So I don't know. I don't, I don't post on Twitter very much because I don't see that it's, you know, very good to just have these kinds of conversations on Twitter. It's much more, it's much better to have a conversation with the person face to face because it's impossible to ignore someone's 
you know, personhood <laughs> when you're standing right in front of them as opposed to just posting on Twitter. And that's essential. You're never arguing with just an idea. You're arguing with the person with experience and they think the things they think for a reason. That's far more interesting to me. What are some of the big challenges for 2021? I mean, look, this this has been a banner year for for highly charged issues. What do you see on the horizon for next year? Yeah, you know, I'm not really an expert on journalism trends, Brian, but I mean, my experience in print journalism uh, lets me know that print's really struggling. So I think we're going to continue to see that that shift towards digital. I'm excited by um, stuff like Substack that could help um, kind of fill out these news deserts across America. For those who don't know what Substack is, can you give us you know the thumbnail sketch of what it, what uh, what that entails? Yeah, as I understand it, it's just a way for people to subscribe to a newsletter uh, by a specific journalist that they trust and are interested in. Well, Glenn, so, Glenn Greenwald is a good example of this. Um, I mean, I, I have followed this guy for a lot of years, and you know, he was one of the founders of The Intercept, and it was all about its investigative journalism. He, along with a few of his colleagues, broke some of the biggest stories of the last decade or so. And yet uh, he actually walked away from The Intercept. And now um, I believe he's, he's almost exclusively on Substack because there came a point where the, the content of his stories, and these were legit stories, not just editorials, was he was being told, you need to take this out. You need to shade this this way. And he wouldn't do it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's really telling. I, I hope things go that in that direction and we get more independent reporting. That would be great. And also, I see the potential for Substack and that kind of patron funded uh, uh, technology to really fill out that news desert and bring coverage to areas in the United States where it's not where they don't have anything right now. Is the is the investigative journalist now becoming the, the citizen activist or journalist that's out there with their iPhone and, you know, you know, chasing after a story. Yeah, totally. What's the question? Just I, I'm curious if there's a shift in, in the, the, the role of investigative journalist is now shifting into the hands of uh, the private individual. I sure hope so. That would that would be great. I mean, I don't think it I don't think it would be it's bad that, you know, these establishment newspapers uh, do what they do. But I think we need more of it and more individuals and more independent journalism for sure. Yep. If we're going to get to the truth, it's it's better to have more voices <laughs> than less. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> OK, tell people where they can find your work. Where Where could they encounter some of your work? Uh, they, you can encounter some of my work in the Detroit News Archives. Uh, you can encounter some of my work. I've got at least one piece at the Washington Examiner. Um, and then if, if you can Google the Statesman Examiner, my newspaper in Rice, Washington, okay. you might be able to find some of my reported work. <laughs> and you can follow his excellent editor, editor work with some of the uh, talent working with Young Voices. So, Aaron Andrews, thank you so much for being our guest in this first segment of Moving Forward with Young Voices. Brian, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.